0: contribution would not be enough. Well, I'll tell you a secret. Every contribution is really important, especially right now. Whether it's a single $25 gift, installments of $10, $20, $50 a month or more, every listener's financial investment is valued. You depend on us to stay abreast of the news of the day, to know what's going on in our community and in our world. Also, to offer great music and cultural programming. And we depend on you to help provide the funding that makes it all possible. Every pledge is important. Every donor is important. No matter what the size check is that you are writing. So please call 818 985 5735. That's 818 985 KPFK. Or go to kpfk.org. And pledge securely online. We appreciate every contribution, especially yours. Hi there, this is Sally Kirkland, and you're listening to KPFK, radio powered by the people, fiercely independent, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles.
1: Good afternoon, good afternoon, afternoon, listeners and friends. This is Jim Lafferty, along with uh, co-host Maria Hall, welcoming you to this week's edition of the Lawyer's Guild Show. If I seem a little out of breath, as we had a little bit of a problem uh, getting uh, the earphones to work in the studio. Ah, live radio, isn't it fun? It is. I love it. For all the little, uh, you know, bumps that you get along the way. Anyway, Maria, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing great, Jim. How are you? Well, Catch fun. your breath. I'm catching please. my
1: breath. Yeah, D'Angelo, and, you know, our great engineer here and everything. We've just been running around, finally finding a microphone and a earphones that, that work. Who knows? Anyway,
2: um, tell us what's in store for our listeners today. Let's get right at it. Sure, sure. We've got two great guests First, we'll be speaking with Mark Kreidler about the financial insecurity of MLK Hospital in South LA. Will the state pony up the funds it needs to keep providing life or death care for thousands of low-income Angelenos? Then we'll talk to LA Times reporter Rebecca Plevin about what came of LA's pilot program to pay a guaranteed minimum income to 3,200 residents.
1: Well, that sounds terrific. And second topic? <laughs> That's, I know. Yes. How many are we going to? You know, I wish sometimes I wish there's so much going on. I wish we could have three, four, five topics, you know, stretch the show out for a couple hours, but cannot be. So let's get right going. And our first topic has to do with the hospital situation. And this is quite alarming. My friends, quite alarming. The Los Angeles Martin Luther King Jr. Hospital, it's a five star uh, five-star rated hospital, but it's facing the very real prospect of being shut down. And this would represent a grave health crisis for the largely poor and black, black population that it serves. Because the hospital is located in what, and get this, the federal government has officially certified as a health care desert. A healthcare desert right here in the middle of Los Angeles, leaving the community where it stands, really no other option other than this hospital at the moment. So MLK Hospital overflows, therefore, with patients. The crisis is, of course, a financial crisis because most of its uh, patients are poor or they're low income and therefore they rely on public insurance rather than commercial private insurance. And public insurance simply doesn't provide anywhere near enough money for the hospital to remain operational. As reported in an article by our guest today in the publication Capital and Maine, Diane Sublet, president of the MLK Community Health Foundation says, and I quote, "If the hospital closes, it would leave a profound gap. We need leaders to help make the point that this hospital is too important to fail." Close quote. Well, the LA County Board of Supervisors has uh, recently agreed to provide some short-term relief, short-term relief. But a sublet also says in that article, quote, we have until June of 2025. By that time, if we don't see corrective action by the state, we will be insolvent, close quote. Yikes. So the author of the Capitol and Main article is, as I say, um, our guest today. He is Mark Crater, a longtime California-based journalist whose work has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, and dozens of other publications. Mr. Crater is the author of three books, including Four Days to Glory and a columnist for the L.A.-based new site capital in maine um mark a warm welcome to the lawyers guild show my friend well thank you jim it's nice to be with you both well mark um mlk hospital um was initially conceived was it not to to fill the void that was left when the king drew medical center was closed down after years of really shoddy care and and poor patient outcomes in fact Uh, An L.A. Times investigation at the time uh, found that the King Drew Hospital had a history of harming patients and even killing them. (laughs) And so, as your article states, the new five-star Martin Luther King Jr. Hospital was created in what is officially, as I say, a healthcare desert. So, remind our listeners of this history a bit, why it is relevant today, and tell us more about the demographics of the community that the MLK Hospital that that replaced King Drew serves.
3: Yeah, certainly, Jim. The the first of all, King Drew was a county-run hospital, and and um, in in its initial years, I think provided that same badly needed service in the community. But over the years, the level of the quality of care began to drop off tremendously. And as you noted, the the LA Times at one point, and this goes back, you know, twenty years uh, yeah. ago. Um, produce you know very uh, thorough accounting of the failures of the hospital, uh, including horrible uh, patient outcomes and in some cases uh, deaths that were recurring uh, occurring directly as a result of hospital mismanagement. And so, Andrew um, <coughs> was essentially closed to make room for whatever came next. And I have to say. It was years and years before what came next actually, you know, came into being. It was yeah. not until 2015 that uh, Martin Luther King Community Hospital, or MLK as locals call it, opened. And the idea was certainly was to you know place a care facility where one used to be um, in such a desperately needed uh, area as that part of South LA but also to structure it in a different way. It's a it's a public-private partnership. It's a private nonprofit in terms of how it's run. And so um, it's maybe no surprise that it's a much, much more efficiently run uh, hospital, and also the quality of care has been uniformly excellent um, from essentially the day
1: it opened. My goodness, yeah. Yeah. All right.
2: Mm. Ooh. Mark. Um, Your article points out that MLK Hospital overflows with patients, and yet it's the lack of money to operate the hospital that's the reason why it's in such great danger of shutting down. Is this due to its patients having little or no private insurance for health care or nothing else than public insurance? Um, That is, how does it differ from other so-called safety net facilities?
3: Well it's a great question and it's it's a it's a little bit complicated I'll, I'll simplify it the best I can. It it actually goes back to how this hospital is created and you're right Maria there are lots of safety net facilities um in Los Angeles and around our state. Uh most of those sort of have a very direct relationship with MediCal which is our version of Medicaid um and that's just strictly a, you know submit fees and receive reimbursements at Previously negotiated rates. In the case of MLK, it, the hospital was actually created as, uh, as, as part of a state and county public private partnership. Um, they wanted the hospital to be privately run uh, and privately managed. And so it, it actually took an act of the state legislature to set up a supplemental funding mechanism. Uh, for this hospital through which some state and some county money is funneled. That's why the County Board of Supervisors was involved recently. Um, with with all of that said, yeah, they still rely, you know, in a tremendous way on reimbursement for services rendered. And when you've got a poor population or a lower-income population, um, you're going to have lots and lots and lots of patients with no private insurance. And public insurance reimbursement rates are very low. That's just the bottom line. Uh, California, for reasons that sort of surpass understanding, uh, has reimbursement rates for Medi-Cal, which is to say Medicaid, that are among the lowest in the United States. I, I really can't tell you why. It, doesn't, it sounds like almost antithetical to most of what California does when it comes to trying to provide health care. But what it means for a hospital like MLK is that for every lower income patient they treat, um, they're, they're sort of actively losing money because what they're going to be reimbursed for those services won't cover their costs. That's why there was a supplemental funding measure put in place uh, along with the private fundraising that the hospital does from donors just to try and keep it going. So it's a, you know, it's, it's a bit of a three-legged stool in terms of how they uh, receive funding. But right now, what's what has finally happened and probably was inevitable, that state and county funding uh method hasn't accounted for inflation uh adequately at all. So the payments from the state and the county have, have don't cover what they used to. And with the really low medical reimbursement rates, the hospital is constantly in, in danger of, of uh running out of operating funds. The woman who runs MLK uh, The hospital side explained it like this, um, and it was about a year and a half ago. You know, if a patient comes into the emergency department, let's focus there for a second, patient comes into the emergency department and they have private insurance like we might have through our employer. Um, If they have private insurance, commercial insurance, the hospital is going to get paid about $2,000 for that visit. If that patient happened to be a Medicare patient, the reimbursement for Medicare would be about $650. <laughs> On Medi-Cal, it's 150 bucks. <sighs> so at that point, the hospital is losing money hand over fist. And, and the other thing that's just apparent, you guys, is in a, in a healthcare care desert, which is to say a place where there are inadequate facilities and not enough doctors to care for people, the hospital's overrun with patients, not only because they provide great care, but because those patients don't really have anywhere else to go. That emergency department, when, when it was set up 10 years ago, not even, was set up on the expectation that it would handle 25,000 patients a year, the emergency department. They're on track this year to handle 125,000 patients. And as, as, as one of the hospital spokeswomen uh, told me the other day, our demographic is basically 60% Hispanic, 40% black, and 100% poor. So they're functionally losing money on every patient who comes in the door.
1: It's yeah, and it's extraordinary, um, and of course, uh, it it relates. There there are very few doctors in this area, because of the same reason. Uh, they get paid also in uh, not. Private insurance, but the government insurance, which is so woefully low that they can't afford to keep practicing privately in the area, and of course, therefore, when patients have something that uh, you or I might go to a, our doctor about, we have they have no place else to go except the emergency room. So it's a vicious circle, it just goes on and on and on, doesn't it? But I, I, I it really I, does. I, I'm struck by what you said about uh, how low medical is in California uh what's the history of that and why in this quote-unquote you know where the, where you have a democratic governor a democratic legislature how in the world do could we understand that
3: well it, it's a great question i'm not sure there's a, a you know a simple answer to it but it, I, I guess you have to take a step back and say you know medi-cal in this case is a is is it's our version of Medicaid. Medicaid is a federal government program. Right. So the federal government does reimburse at a certain level. States, however, then step in and reimburse additionally at their own levels. And for whatever reason, and I, you know, listen, we're in, we're in budget deficit right now. Sure. Um, if you go back over the recent history of California, there have been plenty of years of budget deficit or, or, uh, the need to shore up rainy day funds. I think this has become an issue that was pushed to the side and pushed. To the, you can kick the can down the road on it for several years and eventually you wind up severely behind the curve. Mm. And, and, and Jim, to your point, yeah. Uh, a healthcare desert by definition is a place where there either aren't enough doctors or aren't enough facilities. That is clinics, urgent care, or even a hospital. For the people who need care to receive adequate care. And in a state as big as ours, a lot of the places that we think of as healthcare deserts are rural, as you might imagine. Yeah. Um, you know, you get out into the open land, and lots and lots and lots of smaller town and regional hospitals have closed over the past couple of decades. But it's a little shocking when it's in the heart of LA. Huh. Um, and, and what it really means is probably 20 to 25% of the people who walk into emergency at MLK are dealing, are coming in for issues that would normally be resolved through primary care or major, maybe urgent care.
2: Yeah. Um, Wow. Um, I've also heard even for pregnancy, for having a baby, you know, not having the prenatal care and then they go to emergency. Sure. Um, I did have a question, Mark, about the local politics. So LA County Board of Supervisor has now pledged $20 million, I've heard, um, in funds for the hospital. But the community foundation that runs MLK Hospital says that despite this, the hospital will be insolvent, completely out of operating funds, by June of next year, unless the state of California steps in and saves the hospital. Um, talk to us about this. Is it the state's responsibility to help fund the hospital? And how likely is it that that will happen?
3: Well, it is. The state has a direct hand in in everything that's happening here because, again, MLK was set up in this sort of public-private partnership with not just the county of Los Angeles but the state of California. So the state uh, and the county both send uh, supplemental funding uh, or budget supplemental funding for the hospital, and the states uh, the, the formula that that 's based on, which again had to be uh, derived through a piece of legis uh, of legislative action uh, back in the past decade, hasn 't kept up with inflation so the the funding model has fallen behind on just n- normal the money that 's being funded doesn 't buy anywhere near what it used to buy uh, as anyone who 's dealt with inflation in yeah. the last couple of years could tell you. Um, So that's one problem. The other problem from the state perspective is the state uh, controls Medi-Cal payments, Uh, or I should say it controls um, the amount of money that gets dispersed to Mm Medi-Cal. California's relationship with the Medicaid system through Medi-Cal is a weird one in that we send as a, as a state government, our our government doesn't actually administer those funds. It turns all of the Medi-Cal money over to, the managed health care plans that operate in California. And they then control the disbursement. So a hospital like MLK can and often does find itself fighting the healthcare corporations to get the reimbursement for procedures that it, that it deems necessary or has to fight those providers to even get clearance to do the, the procedures in the first place. Um and so they're 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 up against it it's a it certainly is a broken system, and um, so far governor uh, Governor Newsom hasn't shown much inclination to step in on it. Um, but in the MLK situation is a higher profile situation. I would suggest to you, and this is mostly anecdotal, but in my conversations with the safety net clinics and safety net facilities around the state, most of them are in a similar situation. We're singling out MLK because it's right in the heart of l a. And because there's nothing to replace it, it it needs to have a light shined on it, um, if only to try and encourage a policy change or a change in reimbursement rates. But there are lots of safety net clinics um, that are in the same sort of dire straits, just barely keeping the doors open. And it's antithetical to the idea of taking care of of our own people in the state of California.
1: Well, you know, I just, as I read your article and, and now preparing for the show and now you know, listening to to you talk about this, I mean, here we are, the fifth largest economy in the world, in the world, a uh, wealthy state. uh we're talking, as you say, not not about something out in uh, in the Mojave Desert or something. We're talking about uh, right here in the heart of of Los Angeles, um, and yet we can't provide. Better. I mean, it's. Uh, Forget about single-payer, which would be wonderful, of course. Forget about all that kind of highfalutin talk, which we're far from getting. We we can't even have basic—we uh, can't even be assured of keeping a hospital open for dire emergencies in this huge area. Uh, I mean, it, it's—and the fact that, that Newsom hasn't done enough about it, I mean— uh is there, is there not any, at, at this point, while the bills are ringing on, on the doomsday coming, pressing Newsom to expand Medi-Cal? Uh, is there any possibility that could be? Is the state legislature unaware of this problem? Uh, I mean, what's going on here? Is it just because these people are poor and black that nobody gives a you-know-what? I mean, talk to us about that a bit. I mean, I it's I, well, it's, it's <laughs> stunning.
3: Yeah, no, it's 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 a great point. I think that um, you know it doesn't all fall on the governor's desk. No. And it's important to remember that um, that this hospital was actually created in 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 large measure by the state. It yeah. took an assembly bill to create the funding mechanism for this hospital. So there's there's every reason to think that at least once upon a time, uh, state legislators not just the governor but legislators, understood the, the, the critical need for a place like MLK Community to exist and uh, created a funding mechanism. What's really happening now is that the mechanism broke down, the reimbursement rates fall short, inflation has taken a toll, and although the, the MLK Foundation uh, aggressively and, and and has had tremendous success from donors, You know, it's not going to exist on pure private charity contributions. It needs the state mechanism to drive supplemental uh, uh, income or or revenue to the hospitals to keep alive. So I I don't want to minimize what L.A. County supervisors did. It's it's, a $20 million commitment, as Maria mentioned. It includes an $8 million upfront uh, uh, payment. But it's important to bear in mind that the hospital lost $42 million. Last yeah, year. Yeah. So a, a one-time $8 million uh, supplement is incredibly important, but it's not a deal maker. No. It, it can only be part of a larger solution.
1: And, and you wonder, I mean, I meant to look this up, and I embarrassed that I didn't do it. But uh, who, if you know, and I, I don't know if you do, but who represents uh, the, the district in, in the Assembly or the State Senate, uh, who represents these folks. Has this person been screaming from the hilltops? He or she should be. Do we know anything about that? I I don't know uh, who or how many people
3: represent either the district or the area around it at the state level. I do know that the hospital administrators and and MLK's uh, foundation board have been meeting on a pretty regular basis with members of the state legislature uh-huh. to try to, at the very least, update the funding mechanism uh, for supplemental funds that come from the state. Uh-huh. And it gets a little wonky, but you guys, we're really just talking about enough money to keep a critically impor- important hospital open that is, by every account, doing an amazing job. Yeah. If anything, the job that the hospital does done is it provides such good care and such comprehensive care to people regardless of their need that more and more and more and more people come to the hospital. Oh yeah, so it's... you know, in the absence of other alternatives, um, this this is the hospital that the state and the, and and the legislature and the county supervisors have already just acted
1: mm-hmm.
3: need to to recognize um, it, it, it's it's terribly important to the people of South LA that they have somewhere yeah. to go. In the absence of any other alternatives, I wish they could go to a clinic. I wish they could see a primary doctor. I wish they could go to urgent care. Yeah. But those places, by and large, don't exist in that part of their life.
1: My goodness.
3: Yeah, because well,
2: I'm, I'm also wondering about the city of Los Angeles. I yeah. mean, with the Olympics coming in 2028, don't they have a stake in making sure that we have the <laughs> public health system to support visitors and athletes? Good point.
3: Well, they they certainly do. Um, I think, um, you know, this hospital lies outside the city limits and therefore is part of uh, L.A. County's uh, Hmm. jurisdiction. Um, But that's not to say that the city might, you know, doesn't have a vested interest. It certainly does. Um, You know, I think the you're sort of trying to, in, in so many ways, these people are trying to tackle a small problem because they can't fix a big problem. The big problem is, that we have an an almost uh continuous unmet need to care for our most vulnerable residents in the state we we can't meet the need because there aren't enough uh, uh physicians and clinics and facilities in these areas in part because the reimbursement rates are so low and because you know we can't we we're not going to sit around and fix that in a day but we can keep this hospital open I think that's where
1: the effort is going right now. Yeah. Well, Mark, sadly, we are out of time because we have to do a little business as well. Uh, but, Mark, it's been wonderful talking to you. Your, your article is so important. How can, how can people learn more about your work? Uh, how, do they, how do they make sure they can check? Capital in Maine's a wonderful source of, of, of news that's often not covered by the mainstream media much. How do, how do they get in touch with you? How do they stay in touch with Capital in Maine? What would you suggest?
3: Can always reach us at capitalandmain.com. Uh, I write a weekly column there that is entitled State of Inequality. So we look at inequity in lots of different forms. And so do lots of other writers at our site. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a great news resource. And you're right. Some of it is, 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 uh, topics that may elude the mainstream media for one reason or another. Um, I think that these are the, the story of MLK Hospital is exactly the kind of story that needs to be told more often and more often oh uh, until legislators and local leaders have no choice but to ask.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you, thank you, Mark, Just so much for joining for doing this article. First of all, and uh, we hope we've we've reached your wonderful story about it uh, to, to enough people. And um, and uh, I don't know and we'll we 'll we'll, we'll follow this story and uh, find out who who are the representatives. Uh, check with them find out what they 're doing maybe they 'd like to come on the air and talk about their efforts. But for now, thank you so much folks uh, go to capital of maine it 's just a wonderful place to get your news uh, Thank you and now uh, we just have a couple of minutes before they ha- uh, break at the half hour we neglected to mention at the top of the show because we are running around trying to find a live mic, uh, that, of course, uh, uh, speaking of uh, places we don't want to go under and, uh, and needs your constant support, um, of course, it's KPFK. And uh, so we, we, we're hoping that uh, during our show today, uh, you'll give us a call, uh, 818-985-5735, 818 Nine eight five five seven three five. Um you hear this kind of story uh, here on this station because uh, we do we 're part of the community uh, we 're part of the progressive community in l a um, we're part of the work that you who listen to this show support. That's why you listen to this show. That's why you listen to KPFK. It's uh, it's not your corporate-sponsored and commercialized radio station, um, and so it becomes very important that we keep it alive and functioning, and with and with all the mics working, and uh, and our our staff. My God, some of them working two jobs. They love the place, but they have to work two jobs, or job and a half, to pay the rent in this expensive town. You can help with that. Uh, If we're in this together, and we are in this together, we don't spend 20, 30 minutes, any more of an hour pitching because we know the kind of crisis time that we're in in this country. Uh, And and so uh, for that to work, though, uh, it's an honor system, I guess you'd say. For that to work, um, you've got to, without us haranguing you for a long period of time, uh, pick up the phone or go to our website at kpfk.org and make a pledge. And there are all sorts of ways you'll find on the website we thank you when you do with with wonderful movies or CDs or books that uh, that you can use or give us gifts or whatever you might want to do with it. Um, Maria, last thought on that before we take our station break?
2: Oh, yeah, I was just going to say go to kpfk.org. Yeah, check out the fun little gift items. Um, and also, of course, KPFK does not take big corporate money, which is so rare these days. Mm. Everyone is begging for that money from the corporations. Mm-hmm. And we rely on you. We rely on me. We rely on Jim. <laughs> we rely on all of us to pitch in whatever we can so that we can keep it free for those who cannot pay for Yeah, KPI.
1: yeah and if you're not a, yet a member or if you haven't. Uh, contributed as a member in the last year, then you're no longer a member of the family. Uh, you can be a you can be a, a, a full fledged member with voting rights and everything else for twenty five dollars a year. Um, we're hoping that those listening today may, in some cases, may be doing well. Some people in this society are doing uh, wonderfully well, while others are not. Well, think about those who aren't doing wonderfully well and and uh, renew your membership at five hundred dollars or make a pledge of five hundred dollars or whatever you can afford. Uh, Because you are fortunately now in a good situation. Well, all right, let's take our station break, and then we'll be right back with you with another important story.
0: Support comes from UCLA's Center for the Art of Performance, presenting Mago's Herrera on Saturday, March 9 at 8 p.m. at UCLA Nimoy Theater. A Latin American jazz vocalist, Herrera sings in Spanish, English, and Portuguese, blending contemporary jazz with Mexican folk staples and Latin American melodies and rhythms. For more information and tickets at CAP. Dot UCLA.edu dot and KPFK.
1: Back with you as promised. You're still listening to the Lawyers Guild Show, and I'm still Jim Lafferty along with Maria Hall, my co host. Uh, Bringing you the show every week, and now now we're going to take up a topic that also has to do with the fact that a lot of folks among us, a lot of our sisters and brothers, are barely getting by, if getting by at all, because of how little they earn. Maria, uh, introduce the topic, please, and let's get going with that.
2: Yes, thanks, Jim. And again, reminding people, head over to kpfk.org and make your pledge to support us and KPFK and Independent Media. So, speaking of independent media, mm-hmm. <laughs> according to the last census, there are about 3.8 million people living in the city of Los Angeles. And sadly, about 16%, and that's about 2 in 10 Angelinos, are living in poverty. About a third of those are children. With rising costs of food, housing, and health care, Even having a job doesn't guarantee that you and your family will be financially stable. Is poverty inevitable in an economy built on capitalism? Or is there a way to distribute our collective resources differently in a more equitable manner? One idea that's been gaining some favor around the world is called a universal basic income, which can roughly be described as government making sure everyone has at least a minimum amount of income to live on the city of los angeles of all places Mm -hmm. recently embarked on a pilot project to see what would happen if it provided a thousand dollars a month to 3200 households for one year that experiment has now come to an end unfortunately here to talk with us about what happened and where that program might go from here is Rebecca Plevin. Rebecca reports on equity for the LA Times. Before joining the Times, she was editor at an editor at Fresno Bee, where she oversaw the bilingual Central Valley News Collaborative. She also, she's also reported on immigration for the Desert Sun in Palm Springs and covered healthcare for KPCC-FM in Pasadena, Welcome to the show, Rebecca Plevin.
4: Hi, thank you very much.
2: Great. Well, thanks for being here. And please tell us a little more about the city of Los Angeles's basic income guaranteed program. Where did the funding come from and what were some of of its goals?
4: Sure. So the Big Leap, that's the name of the program, um, was one of the largest guaranteed income pilot programs in the country. Um, And it was one of many that were launched in recent years in response to the pandemic, racial injustice, widening economic inequality. Um, And the big leap dispersed thirty eight point four million dollars of city funds um, to thirty two hundred residents, as you mentioned, Um, to be eligible. People had to be either pregnant or have at least one child. They had to live at or below the poverty level, and they had to have experienced hardship related to COVID-19. Um, the goal of the Big Leap and other pilot programs is to create like an income floor. Um, backers say that an income floor creates stability and smooths out volatility for people. Um, I spoke with the general manager of the city of L.A.'s Community Investment for Families Department, which ran the Big Leap. Um, she called guaranteed income one effective strategy for ending generational poverty in LA, um, but she said that that such programs must be paired with, you know, other efforts like workforce development, economic development, and housing strategies.
1: Yeah, how, how Rebecca? This is Jim Lafferty. Hi, um, Rebecca. Hi. How, how did the city of LA um, decide who would get to participate in the program? uh you mentioned some of the, the the qualifying factors uh so that they could receive this this monthly check for a year um and um if i understood what you said to maria i'm betting that the income level that they had to be at in order to get this money when they added the money to it still left them uh Probably un, unru- maybe unwilling to unable to still rent an apartment or really provide for all of their health and food needs. But but talk to us about that. What were how was it decided and who got in and uh, you know what did they have to do other than have this low income if anything?
4: Sure. Um, so the city of LA partnered um, with the Center for Guaranteed Income Research at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, and some 50,000 people applied for the program. And then the U Penn Center randomly selected the 3,200 residents who would participate. Oh. Um, and, you know, someone from the city told me the participants, um, that the average participant was a single woman of color um, and really reflected, like, the face and the voice of poverty in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them were from countless District 8 and 9. Um, and, again, they just really reflected what poverty looks like in the city of L.A. Um, you know, they received a thousand dollars a month for 12 months. Um, and then, you know, th- there were no restrictions or requirements for how people spent the money. So again, they got one thousand dollars a month for 12 months and there were no strings attached. Mm-hmm. And this is a really important part of programs like this. Mm-hmm. Um, proponents say that programs can, ch- that, you know, these, um, types of programs can change narratives around poverty. Um, when, when, you know, when, when, they're entrusted to make decisions about their own finances. So when low-income people can make their own decisions about finances, um, that that can really change narratives around poverty. <laughs>
2: Mm-hmm. well I'm sure not everyone supports the concept of guaranteed minimum income um during the course of your reporting and research I'm sure you've come across some critics uh, what are what are some of the arguments against the possibility of a government providing a universal basic income
4: yeah so you know, um universal basic income is a related proposal to what you know what was going on in LA which was guaranteed income and universal basic income is uh, is a related proposal and it would provide cash to all Americans and so critics of this universal basic income they really question the feasibility of you know giving money without um, that's not tied to work requirements um, and critics also question whether you know if if the government is providing that sort of funding, would it come at the expense of existing, you know, food and health programs that people already rely on? And again, these these programs are just very expensive. Remember the city spent thirty eight point four million dollars on the big leap. These are just very expensive programs. Um, and then I know from the reader emails that I received <clears throat> after this story published that some people are just uncomfortable with this unconditional, no strings attached part of these programs. Um, you know, several people asked me why there weren't work requirements associated with these. Was a the big leap. Uh, why there wasn't like a requirement to take personal finance classes? Um, and that's a, a sampling of what I what I got in my email.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, <clears throat> I think people <clears throat> often do not realize that to the extent uh, that somebody in your community or in your city, it doesn't have to be in your fancy neighborhood. Uh, to the extent that that person is not able to provide all the health care needs and nutritional needs, uh, disease spreads. That can affect even the rich. Uh, and, and it goes on and on. There, there are lots of ways in which that, uh, uh, you know, how they always argue about uh, how the billionaires, it trickles down, which, of course, it doesn't. One thing that does trickle up is the results of having poverty in great measures in a city, how that affects the entire city. Um, but at any rate, also, in, in your article, you report uh, on your meetings with several of the participants in, that, in the city's Basic Income Guaranteed Program. I wonder if you could give us a couple of examples of, well, how receiving the money uh, funds did Im- impact some people's lives. Sure. Yeah, this was...
4: Um obviously, like, a really interesting part of the story. So um, I met three women. Um, I met Martha Dubon. She's an immigrant from Honduras and a mother of two. Um, she was a stay-at-home mom until the pandemic hit. And then, um, you know, her husband uh, lost his job. And so then she started, she started to sell clothing on the street. She became a street vendor selling clothing. Um, and then when she, when she started receiving the big week payments, she put half toward her rent, and then she put the other half toward her business. So she started buying clothing. Um, and then, you know, as you know, business was steady and, you know, clothing was tiling up in their small apartment. So then she started renting a small storefront um, and she opened her own store last February. Hmm. So for her, she invested that money um, and, you know, it'll be paying off as long as that store, as long as she has a store. Um, I also met Ashley Davis. She's a single mom of a son with special needs. Uh, and a freelance cosmetologist. And within a week of getting that first payment from the Big Leap, she enrolled in an online chemistry course. And that would be the first of several prerequisite courses that she would need to apply to nursing school. Um, And her thinking was, you know, change careers and find a career that paid well and offered flexible hours that let her care for her son. Um, And she used the Big Leap money, to, you know, cover her bills, to buy clothes and shoes for her son, and also just to defray unexpected costs, like car repairs. She had told me that, you know, before the big leap, she often found herself in these stress cycles where she would get a bill, she would stress about it, she might go into debt, and then, um, you know, it was sort of a cycle of stress, and that the big leap money let her um, stay out of that stress cycle. Um, A year later, she had finished the prerequisites for nursing school, she said she's healthier, that she lost weight, her cholesterol and blood sugar are stabilizing. Um, and she told me that the program gave her a huge part of her life back. You know, it gave her time, it gave her energy, it gave her the tools that she needed to take care of herself. She told me, if I can't take care of myself, I can't take care of my child. Um, and I also spoke with Claudia gutierrez Um, She's a single mother of six who currently lives with her youngest three children, um, she's worked at El Pollo Loco for more than two decades. She makes seventeen dollars an hour. <laughs> um, but when the pandemic hit, you know, the restaurant closed, then only drive through open, so her hours were reduced for a while. At the same time, she also learned that her building was being sold, she needed to move. So all in all it was just a really stressful time for her. Um but you know, she found out that she was going to be in a big leap and so she saved that money for the first six months. She was able to use that money to pay the security deposit on her new apartment. Um, and at least during the program, she felt a lot more stable. Um, you know, a year a, I thought you know a year after the big leap ended, um, you know, she, financially she was sort of back to where she was before the big leap. She was having trouble paying her bills. You know, for several months she was late on her rent. At one point, she considered living in her car. Um, you know, and I think that really speaks to what you mentioned at the top of the segment that. Um, you know, even when people are work are working full time jobs, um, you know, rent is very expensive in LA, and just you know, cost of living is very expensive in LA. Yeah,
1: but but, <clears throat> and I realize it, uh, there were many people for whom perhaps um, at the end of the year they were also just back where they had started from, and. It, in the long run, it didn't help them much. Uh, but you've cited some examples where it does, because very often, I mean, you know, there's such a prejudicial attitude about who's on the streets, who's living in their car, and why they're living in their car on the streets. And uh, it's all well and good for people with money to pontificate about that. Um, but the fact of the matter is <laughs> that... Uh, most of those people are are, are are unless they have serious mental health issues or something, and then they should be taken care of by society as well but But for most of those people uh, uh, a a sickness, a loss of a job, who knows what, and they find themselves in this situation and you've just pointed out how a rather, a rather pittance of money um twelve thousand dollars a year, how it is helps people uh just enough to let them get back into school. Just enough to help them set up something so now they have a little business. Just enough to, you know, do something which changes their life because they are uh, ambitious. They do want to get out of the spot that they're in, often for no fault of their own. And so uh, I I really uh, would wish that people that look askance at this sort of thing um, would perhaps study it a little more closely. But anyway, thank you for that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I'm very inspired by the thought of somebody's health improving because they have this little bit more peace of mind mm. or even just getting through those hard times, even if they end up status quo, you know, a year later, at least, I mean, what would have happened if they hadn't had it during those crises, those times of crises. Um, but then that does lead me to ask um, now that that program, the pilot's prog- the pilot program, uh, Big Leap, Uh, from the city of LA and it's now ended. So what's next for the participants? Um, Will there be follow-up with them? Um, Is there a study coming out from the university? I think you said university of Pennsylvania and is there any chance the city will want to revive it in the future?
4: Yeah, great question. So, um, the university of Pennsylvania is studying the big leap program and we do expect to have more data out of that program. um, uh, later, you know, probably like by this spring. Um, I can tell you to, to go back to, to Jeff's, uh, to Jim's point, um, you know, Penn has been, has been studying, um, uh, many of these programs. Um, and I wrote about in, in, my story that they had studied a program in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, and they found that, you know, that the proportion of people who were employed during that pilot program, um, can, you know, increased during, um, that, that pilot program and then continued to rise six months after the program ended. People also felt more hopeful during the program and those feelings remained six months after. Mm. But, you know, in that program, many people did see their finances drop back to previous levels. So, um, you know, so w- what, what, you know, Claudia experienced is, I think something that they, that researchers have found in other, um, programs as well. Um, But to go back to your question about um, the future, so it doesn't look like, um, I don't think the participants from the big leap, they they probably will not be getting any more money through the big leap, Um, but I spoke with Abigail Marquez with the city's Community Investment for Families Division, Um, and she said she would like to launch another guaranteed income program in the city, Um, and she hopes that it will be discussed during the city's upcoming budget hearings.
1: Yeah, I also know, Rebecca, that uh, there are some other places around the country, as well as other countries around the world. Who, who have similar programs. They all have uh, some, some marked differences, but they're aimed at the same idea. Um, and for our listeners, uh, either for personal reasons or, or just because they would like to know more about this concept of universal basic income programs, how they work and so forth, um, are, are there, uh, well, first of all, uh, uh, do you know anything about any of the other programs around the country? And, but beyond that, where, where might our listeners go to find out more? Uh, you no doubt did a lot of research when you did the fine articles you did about it.
4: <clears throat> sure, yeah. So um, you know, there's a lot of momentum around um, around unconditional cash programs, both in California and nationwide. Um, you know, right here in in the LA area, LA County um, is investing in unconditional cash programs. Um, they ha- they launched their Breeze program, which is a guaranteed income program that provides a thousand residents. With a thousand dollars a month for three years Hmm. and that has, that's already, um, you know, that's, that's ongoing right now. Um, and then just in November, the state of California launched two state funded, state funded guaranteed income programs and both of those are focused on former foster youth. Um, one in San Francisco provides $1,200 a month for 18 months and the other one in Ventura County provides them with $1,000 a month for 18 months. And so these are just, you know, a couple of um, – I've seen I've seen a number like 150-some programs out there, and huh. people have said that, you know, they're constantly learning about more. So there's a really lot of momentum around um, these unconditional cash programs right now. And then if people are interested in, you know, checking out the programs that are out there and looking at data, um, the Stanford Basic Income Lab has a Guaranteed Income Pilot Dashboard where you can check out data from pilot programs across around the country, um, and then that Center for Guaranteed Income Research at the University of Pennsylvania is studying a lot of these programs. Um, I spoke with the co-founder of the of that research center, and you know they, they have there's several outstanding questions that they have regarding these programs. You know they're really trying to get the best data to figure out you know how to best implement these types of programs. Um, you know how long do people need to receive money to create you know change in their lives? What's the optimal, you know, dosage or amount of money? So, mm-hmm. um, so at UPenn they're studying these programs, and you can check out, you know, um, their reports there on yeah.
1: their website. All right, that's a easy enough finding. Guar- guaranteed annual income programs. Just, you know, just put it into uh, uh, your server I put it into the uh, search engine, and you'll no doubt no, 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 find a number of the ones that our wonderful guests just talked to us about.
2: Well, I guess we are just about out of time, Maria. I know. I'm sad. I I feel like Rebecca has the best job in the world. It sounds so interesting (laughs) to talk with all of those people. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I
2: really loved the article. Yes, please. Before you go, um, please tell tell us tell listeners uh, where we can follow your your writing and read more about what you're uh, investigating right now.
4: Yeah, so my reporting is part of the L.A. Times' equity reporting initiative, um, which is focusing on challenges facing low-income workers and efforts to address the economic divide. Um, and it's funded by the James Irvine Foundation, um, supported by the James Irvine Foundation. Um, and if you're interested in checking out more of my reporting, it's on the L.A. Times' website, um, and I'm also at Rebecca Pleasant on social media.
1: Read, the, read that last one again. Rebecca, my, what?
4: my social media <laughs> handle, it's its my name, <laughs> yeah. Rebecca Plevin.
1: All right. Okay. Thank you so much for being with us today. Really. Thank really, you so
2: much, Rebecca and your, Plevin. And your work. We
1: thank you for that as well. All right. Well, we just do have, what do we have, D'Angelo? What? Uh, Five minutes, six six minutes left. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no, I'd be curious. We should have her back because, you know, or look at some of these other programs. You know, the the program she mentioned was $3,000, excuse me, $1,000 a month for three years. Uh, That strikes me as probably more useful. Well, I mean, it costs more money, I realize, but probably more useful in terms of bringing about change that sticks. The person doesn't fall back. They have three years so they can kind of stabilize uh, pulling themselves up by this now uh, supported bootstrap, if you will, I wonder, wonder to see how ma- what the success rate is between the different ways. I I'm sure that's being studied by folks who know more about how to study those things than I do. But um, the one thing I don't have to study um, <laughs> is that I I know that um, uh, I, I haven't seen any. Uh, open bar here at KPFK. Uh, uh, There's no uh, great lounge serving food. to. uh, We have no green room here for our guests when they come in. Um, We couldn't possibly afford that. Um, You know, we've struggled for years. We've been in business for years and years and years uh, because of our message, because Uh, Very often, certainly in this period, we're not getting any federal money because we don't take corporate funds, because we can uh, speak freely truth to powers and uh, so forth. Um, uh, It it means we have to uh, struggle a bit. Uh, Well, we don't mind that um, as long as it pays off. It has so far, but only because of you, our listeners. That's the only reason we don't get big grants from the Ford Foundation either. Um, This is Community Radio. This is alternative radio. This is progressive news and progressive analyst radio. Uh, so you must give us a call. Uh, if you support what we're doing, if you like what you hear when you listen, you can call us at 8 right now is when we'd like you to call. Not next week. All of that may be fine, too. But right now is when I'd appreciate it. 818-985-5735. Or as Maria often says, and I think rightly so, go to the kpfk.org website. There you'll find all sorts of gifts, depending on the size of your gift to us, if you will. Um, and, uh, and we urge you to do that. You can charge it on your charge account. You know, you, you charge a dinner, you charge a new pair of clothes, and uh, you need those too. But we think you need this. We think we all have to be informed if we're going to continue to fight back against the corporate media, continue to educate our people, uh, a truly free press to depends on this kind of a station as well as on you know CNN and Fox News. So 818-985-5735 is the way to do that or go to the website. I know Maria, you're always a supporter, I support as well. Um, uh, uh, our staff supports it every day because they're working here at a lot less than they could make somewhere else because they believe in the political cause that we are part of, right?
2: Yes, absolutely. It is a labor of love, and so happy to be on the team with everyone else and that includes our listeners
1: mm. uh, you know
2: absolutely our list- yeah, I think that's something people don't
1: miss. you know you hear these other radio stations uh, and and I support there are other radio stations I support too. Uh, because they they have a role to play. Maybe I like the music that comes out of the classic music station, or maybe I just happen to like the popular music um, mix on uh, on a particular at eighty eight point five more than I do on some other station. So I, I support them, but my main support goes here because this is what's unique. Uh, There aren't a dozen of these anywhere. Uh, We're the only game in town that does this day in and day out. Uh, Most of the guests that we have on our show are not being heard on any other spoken medium in this city. They're not making appearances on the uh, big uh, radio shows or on television or anywhere else. And, and, and we're told constantly by the movement groups that we have on talking about their work for the poor, on racism, on women's issues, the environment, that when they come on our shows, not just the Lawyers Guild show, but others here, uh, they get more people at their demonstrations. They get people showing up at their membership meetings they've talked about here on the air. They get people involved in their work more. So we help build the movement. So when you contribute to us, you are Uh, indirectly also contributing, frankly, To all the progressive causes in town It's kind of one-stop shopping If you think about it Uh, We don't want you to stop giving to those groups as well Don't misunderstand me But you can can give to us And you are helping all those groups They say so to us all the time KPFK.org is the way to do it online 818-985-5735 Is the way to do it directly By giving us a call We appreciate that Either way, we love the fact that you listen to us That you think of yourself as part of the family Keep that membership live. You know, uh, you can be a member for as little as twenty-five dollars, but you got to pay that twenty-five dollars once a year. It's pretty cheap. But there you are, and of course, a lot of people pay a hundred or five hundred or a thousand dollars every year because I could afford to do it and they're, they're paying it for their brothers and sisters who may be out of work at the moment and so forth. And uh, Maria, I know Maria always gives. I You know, uh, <laughs> Maria's friends, you, you you probably hook your friends in, right, Maria?
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I strong-arm everyone. <laughs> and don't forget to put the mark the box that says Lawyers Guild Show is your show.
1: Yeah, we appreciate <laughs> that if you do that. If you don't, that's okay, too, but we'd rather you did that because— uh, well, we like to think that we've uh, helped the station makes us feel good. You know when you contribute, I always find that there are times that I'm I'm broke too and I think, eh, boy, I don't know, I sure like." And then I send them the money and I think, "You know, I, I just feel better." Oh, it wasn't a big thing, maybe, but uh, I, but but I feel better. I feel like I've made my contribution to something I believe in, and I uh, I sleep better. I feel better. We're we're all in t- rough, tough times, and this election year, our very democracy is on the line. Uh, Julian Assange is fighting for what's left of freedom of the press in this America as we speak in uh, in London right now. My God, there's so much that we have to uh, cause us to stay together jointly. So please please 818-985-5735 or go to our website until next week at the same time on behalf of maria hall and myself jim lafferty we sure thank you for listening today thank you for any contributions you make we'll be back with you again next week until then stay healthy my friends and stay active and stand up for your rights get up stand
5: up don't Give up the for KPFK Los Angeles, I'm Negwa Ibrahim. I just wanted to take a moment to talk with you all about the fun drive that we're in right now for KPFK. As you know, we are 100% community-sponsored. We take no money from any sort of corporate entities. That gives us the opportunity to really talk about the issues that are affecting the world from a place of truth and not from a place that's influenced by corporate greed, that's influenced by ulterior motives. Rather, we have the opportunity, through being community-funded, through listener support, to really be able to deliver programming that is speaking truth to power. And we want to be able to continue to do that. You can make your pledge to kpfk.org slash donate or you can call in at 818-985-5735. If you appreciate what we are about and what we're trying to do every day in collaboration with you all, please make sure to donate. Once again, you can donate at kpfk.org slash donate or call in at 818-985-5735. Thanks so much for joining us. Wishing you all light, love and peace. Stay tuned.